Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Office Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hi guys, and welcome back to Tech People. I'm your host, Ken Coyne. I'm very excited as we start a new series today, focused on customer experience. Over the next number of weeks, we will cover various topics in this space. And if there's a topic that you would like covered, or maybe you would like to come on the podcast yourself as a guest, then please do reach out to myself. Today, we want to discuss what it means to have a holistic approach to customer experience. And to explain this a bit further, I'm delighted to be joined by Seth Johnson, who's the head of customer experience at LearnUpon. Welcome to the show, Seth. Thank you. Great. Thank you for coming on board. Um, maybe first, if we could just start maybe with a bit about yourself, the background, and maybe the company you work with. Certainly. No, I'm, I'm very happy to lead customer experience at LearnUpon, and I guess we'll get into the functions that that represents here shortly. But LearnUpon is a learning management system, primarily focused on serving the needs of businesses and Those can run the gamut from educating customers and partners and other people outside of their organization, all the way through educating people inside of their organization, their employees, contractors, and other such such people for the end of achieving business outcomes through having people who know what they need to know and can do what they need to do. And the idea in LearnUpon is to make that simple, easy to set up, and simple to use over the long haul to meet learners where they are and uh, allow them to learn when and as they, they have a need and, and, and the ability. And we know that companies' needs and employees' time and, and facilities are really varied. We try to make LearnUpon adaptable to all of those. Before LearnUpon, I spent some time with a productivity tool called LucidChart. Lucid's a fantastic company. Really enjoyed working there and also, also in the learning space prior to Lucidchart with a company called Instructure, building a couple of different learning management systems, one for education and one for businesses. So lots of different experiences before that. I began in, in support and have added other functions in customer experience over time. Cool. Well, I think we can safely say that you have a lot of experience. Really I've made all the mistakes, most of them personally, <laughs> yes, and have learned from them. <laughs> Great. Let's, let's get on to our topic. So, Seth, um, what does it mean to have a holistic approach to customer experience? And maybe I would ask first, just for the benefit of the audience, is, you know, what do you mean by a holistic approach? Great. So I think what I believe about a holistic approach to customer experience is based on one really simple idea that it would be helpful to get out there to begin with. And I've got to give a lot of credit to at least articulating this idea to a fellow called Greg Baines, of whom I'm somewhat of an acolyte. I really enjoy what he has to say. I think he puts the central problem facing customer experience leaders and teams in a, in a really good way. And that's essentially that, look, we as providers, as vendors, if you will, want long-term relationships with our customers, obviously. And we have really interested motives for that. But really, customers want that too. The pain involved in changing tools, you know, the, the simple cost in dollars and cents, but also the cost to people as they navigate change management, those are really significant. 
they don't want to be chopping and changing uh, any more than we want them to leave. So when you think about a relationship between a vendor organization and a customer, and you think about it not turning into a long-term partnership, so the customer leaves in a relatively short period of time, you ask yourself, why did that happen? And you know, it's not about satisfaction, really, per se. I think all of us in this space have seen really satisfied customers give you a great score on a, on a survey one day and then tell you they're leaving the next. It's <laughs> not about really anything beyond one simple thing. It's not that they find a reason to leave because everybody in every relationship, in every sphere of life always has at least one reason to leave that relationship. It's because they run out of reasons to stay. And I think a lot of us in this profession fall into the trap of thinking of a list of reasons to stay that matters to us and not to our customers. So, you know, you think about things like the aforementioned satisfaction surveys and, and, you know, a great satisfaction result is not a reason to stay in our customers' eyes. We think about completed tasks like, oh, look, there are 20 tasks to be done onboarding and we've done 18 of them. That is a result. It's not a result from our customer's perspective. You think about like timely anything as being a great result, not really to our customers. And then we think a lot about product metrics like activity and usage and and things that we get really happy about because they serve our purposes. That's also not what our customers came for. In the end, the only valid reason for a customer to stay is meaningful business results for them. So in explaining holistic customer experience, I guess I've got to start there and say that unless any customer experience structure or, or framework we build starts with discovering what our customers' meaningful business results are, essentially why they hired us and the broader perspective of what they want to accomplish using our services or product. Anything we do thereafter is going to be useless. We will not get where we want to go in the long run. If we end up with a long-term relationship, it's because the results came about by accident and despite us, if you will, which isn't likely to happen very often. So holistic customer experience philosophically is built around this idea that customers' business results matter a lot and you should know as much about them as possible. So having discovered those, and a lot of that happens in the sales process, we, we rely heavily on our sales friends to, I guess, bring us customers who expect results that we're capable of delivering, but also handing over to us some level of understanding of those results. But having gotten those, we have to do everything we do in customer experience around, I guess, a concise statement of what a given customer's business results desired business results are and and need to be. So beyond that, holistic customer experience is just taking into account all the things we need to do to make a customer successful, by which I mean, give them the results that they need. That's obviously onboarding them into the process. That is a customer success function that picks the relationship up from there and carries on with it. And it's also technical support is needed and professional services around your product. It's all of those things. But it's all of those things working together in service of the results that your customers expect. Yeah. So it's not just customer experience, ultimately. It's right. whole, Definitely. It's every interaction with that with your organization, basically. Yeah. It's, I like to say to my colleagues who lead other functions in our business that our title as an organization happens to be customer experience. And we're really pleased to carry that title. It's a privilege for us to spend all day, every day interacting with other customers. But we're just the face of the organization that way. We're the messengers. We are those privileged to spend our days talking to our customers. Everybody in every function across the organization contributes to the customer experience in a meaningful way. And if you're thinking about a a holistic customer experience, it's everything your customer experiences as they use your product and service. 
And the team you call customer experience, capital C, capital E, actually personally builds and delivers very little of that. The product, clearly central to that. The story that we tell about the product that brings people to the product with certain expectations, absolutely essential to that. And that's our marketing friends. Even things that are seemingly disconnected from the customer experiences, like our accounting and finance practices, have very real and meaningful kind of implications for the customer experience, if you think about it holistically. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. Very interesting. It makes a lot of sense. But I mean, could we talk to us maybe somewhere? Like, how do you how do you achieve that? What, what kind of strategies that maybe yeah. you've deployed um, that worked or maybe that not have, also that might not have worked in your experience? Certainly. Well, starting from where I sit, and that's at the head of a customer experience organization, maybe the most practical thing, and it seems awfully commonsensical, but I'll say it anyway, is a simple recognition of what team you belong to as the head of customer experience. And what I mean by that, by that is, like, properly understood, your first team is the team your manager leads. We often fall into the trap as leaders of believing that our first team is the team we lead. And okay. if, you, if you work that way and think that way, what you're likely to do is to deliver narrowly focused, I guess, inadequately considered initiatives and outcomes. If I only thought about customer experience, capital C, capital E, I wouldn't have the proper perspective to make good choices in my sphere of influence. So I've got to recognize that my first team is my manager's team, which is the executive team, the senior executive team. In the same way, then, if we take it down into a customer experience team, the people who report to me, I've got, for example, a leader of onboarding. I've got a leader of a couple of types of customer success management. I've got leaders of support, a leader of documentation development, heaven help us. So if each of those people thought of their own teams as their first team, they would make a lot of choices in a silo. If they think of my team, the team that comprises all of them and me as their first team, they're going to bring a different perspective to their work and so on down into the organization. Everyone should think about one step broader than their own remit, at least when they're thinking about their daily decisions. So that's philosophically what you do. But I think there are some very practical and applied things you do to make that real. I'll pick out a couple of scenarios, I guess, and talk about how we make this real for them. One important thing that a customer experience team does is receive input from the customers who are actually using the product every day about the product or service that we offer. And, you know, for my nearest to me is, is a SaaS uh, solution. So let's call it SaaS software and let's imagine that this is what we're talking about. We have lots of sort of vectors of input from our customer base about the product in actual, literal, real life use. One of those is the support team, obviously. People reach out when they find broken things or when they can't figure out how to do a thing. And the data then that customer uh, support gathers, incredibly important in helping us shape development of the product. So you find out what's broken and you find out what people think is broken, which tells you that something's broken, even if it's working literally as designed. And that's one stream of input. That's, if you will, a user orientation to your software. But then you've got the customer success team sitting you know, a few rows over if we're talking about a world where we used to work in offices. and they're on calls every day with, say, administrators or stakeholders of each customer organization. So the feedback they get is not about user input. It's about customer input, really, organization-level input, where they say, I mean, sure, we interact with your support team and we have a, no, a few known bugs and people are working on them and that's fine. But what I really need to achieve the business results I'm seeking is this gap that I perceive in your feature set to be closed, or I need this thing to work slightly differently than it does today. And this is why. 
So you get a different perspective there. And then you get still a, a third perspective from, say, a community. If you have a customer community where people can come in and, and throw up feature ideas for you to consider, that's a little bit unbound by the day-to-day realities of using the product, which you might get from support or the organizational point of view, which you might get from success. So very tactically, we take the approach of having a biweekly meeting where leaders of all three organizations get a chance to bring the aggregated feedback that they've gotten from their teams and their teams' interactions with customers to a table. And we then, as customer experience, create a unified top 10 list of needs of our customers that brings together inputs from all of these streams. And then we have, in cadence with our development team's sprint cycles, um, a chance to sit with them and say, here is the one voice of customer experience, if you will, speaking on what we think needs to happen next in the product to address the needs that we're aware of with our customer base. And similarly, you've got a sales team doing the same across their organization saying, well, what we're hearing from prospects that they would need to see before they agree to do business with us all is the following. And then our product team has those two streams of input that they can listen to, but also their own vision for the product going forward that might come from the executive team, maybe generated within the product team itself. And all of that has to be taken into account in prioritization. But in doing that, you've now taken the concept of holistic customer experience and you've made it real in a tactical way. And that tactical way pertains to product development. We could talk a lot about other, other scenarios, but that's that's one very applied example. Second, I mean, yeah, I love it. I mean, but talk to me about, I mean, what are the kind of challenges have you faced in this doing what you've been doing then? And, or has there been many challenges? I mean, the fact that you're meeting once a week uh, or every second week with these teams, what's it worked well in that and what hasn't, what, what hasn't worked so well? Yeah, well, <laughs> despite your best efforts, you can get the best information yeah. available. You can make what are objectively correct decisions about prioritization and developing your product, taking into account all these streams which are developed individually very well. And you can still get to a place where your customers don't think you're being as responsive as you should be because no one of them is getting everything they want. And really, as a group, they may not be getting anything they want. We had a scenario like that a couple of jobs ago for me and we came to a point uh, where the sentiment in our customer community was not very good around our decision-making on product development. And the solution to that, as we thought about it, was, well, let's bring our customers here because we think we're doing everything we can to make good decisions around this product development prioritization roadmap exercise. Why don't we get 20 of our most influential voices from the community, literally fly them here to our offices and have them spend three days with us and carve out a chunk of our development capacity and and say to them, you literally get to program this. We are handing this chunk of development capacity to you. Here for your information is all of the sort of the top 20 feature ideas from the community that you and others have contributed. Here are some other factors to take into account. We're locking the doors now and we'll, we'll bring you food. Like go to work and tell us what we should build with this chunk of development capacity. Well, predictably, for those who have dealt with product challenges before, the outcome was that our customers left a few days later saying, huh, you know, what we thought was fairly obvious isn't. What we thought is pretty easy is actually challenging. Because you get customers in the room and, and of course, someone with a loud voice would say, well, I mean, now that the instructor people are gone or this other company's people are gone, it's clear, isn't it, that the top three things are this. And then someone that they thought would be a lot like them says, no, those, those aren't even in my top 10. And it became just this very dynamic exercise that we all knew very well because we lived it every day. But we ended up with a group of people in our customer community who then became pretty good advocates for us on product development, saying, you know, not letting us off the hook, obviously holding us accountable, but saying, guys, this is actually a lot harder than you might think to prioritize appropriately. So 
Not that I would advocate every company do that, but uh, that's the kind of approach that you can take when the normal processes built with the right intents aren't getting in what you need. Yeah, that's a good idea because I was just thinking, you know, even, you know, you get these feedback for your customers, but how do you know that that's a good balanced feedback or it's just one or two key customers requesting something? And then that goes forward onto the, to the list, which might be good for one or two customers, but not the rest of your community. You know, that's such a good point, you know, because if we're, if we're talking holistically, we use the word holistic. We can't just mean encompassing every aspect of the experience for a customer. We have to mean that we're looking across our entire customer base too, and having some level of, of appreciation that yes, the customer with the loudest voice in the room does themselves represent a larger percentage of your total business than any one small customer. But all of your small customers taken together have a much larger voice than any one customer that you could pick from your enterprise or strategic segment of your business. And if you want to have, and you have to know yourself really clearly and know what it is you want to build. And if you want to have a product that appeals to a wide range of customers, you've got to have means in place that sort of normalize, equalize the input you're getting from segments that if you take them in the aggregate are equal to one another in importance to your business. Okay, cool. And so how about, I mean, this obviously involves a lot of, I suppose, technology to support this experience. I mean, it's a certain tools you use or how has how does technology help in this yeah. whole this thing problem? A great question. I'll say first that I think we sometimes in business allow tools to lead process mm. and that that should almost never be the case. In the same way that I don't think any of our customers adopt a learning management system because they think they should have one and then later figure out what to do with it. I think that uh, need or, or process should always lead to link. So usually when you start a process, and again, going back to the example that we threw out about feature prioritization with input from lots of different places in the business, you better start with a spreadsheet. If you're not starting with a spreadsheet, you're very likely to go get a tool and then build your process around the tool, which will result in a process that follows the workflow desires and and vision of some product designer somewhere in a company that isn't yours. So you got to be true to yourself and start with a, I guess, a least intrusive, least prescriptive tool solution, which... Anyone that knows me will know that I'm always going to say is a spreadsheet. I have a little sticker on my laptop that says the answer is always a spreadsheet. And I really believe it. So you start there. But when you reach a certain level of sophistication and scale, that becomes unsustainable. And then from there, you pick the right tool. As one example, in our business, we've reached a point now where we need to graduate from spreadsheets, where product ideation is concerned. And we've adopted a purpose-built solution for that. I'll, I'll avoid using the name here because I don't know who's who in the audience. But we picked, we looked at a lot of them and we picked the one that suits us best. There were lots of options. And I'll say that I think each of them had its merits, but we picked the one that met our needs. And I guess that's the approach I would advocate. But having, I guess, the essential quality of a tool to support a holistic customer experience philosophy in practice is that it must be collaborative and must be collaborative in real time. And I think if the last two years have taught us anything, it's that the best tools out there are all that way these days. And the tools that can't cope with real-time collaboration across distributed geographic locations, I mean, that's a dying breed. That There won't be any of those in meaningful business, I would think, in the next few years. And, and those that aren't there now should be scrambling to develop those capabilities. And, and you see that all over the place. I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think the problem is not too much collaboration, so many tools. Um, and how do you manage them efficiently? Like, for example, you know, when you talk about the holistic approach, it's not only internally, but it's external tools as well and how you deal with your customer, whether it's, you know, email, phone, uh, online tools, 
like the different channels, basically. I mean, have you any experience in relation to what well, obviously you do, but what's good for a listing approach in terms of mm. the different channels and how you manage that? So I've never actually seen an environment where there are too many channels or tools at your disposal. The, the problem is when there isn't general agreement on what should happen where. And it doesn't, like, like there's no one set of rules for that, by the way. So let's take internal communication tools just as one example. And you, you rattled off a, a good list there. You've got, well, let, let's run the gamut from the most, let's say, ephemeral to the most enduring sort of permanent tools. You've got Slack or some other instant messaging solution. You then have, call it a, a, an internal knowledge base, maybe a confluence or something of that kind. And you could pick out some points. Uh, Guru is another good example. You could pick out points along that spectrum from ephemeral to lasting kind of knowledge artifacts and communication modes. And all of them are fine and they all have their place. And I have seen in different places Slack being used as only communications that we would have in person in passing if we were in the same space, all the way through to, no, this is our full-blown system of record. Like We don't actually use email here. We use Slack and we use search in Slack to go find what we need. And what I prefer and, and what I've used elsewhere is actually neither here nor there. It's just you have to have cultural agreement around here are our four or five modes of communication or tools for communication. And here's what each is used to do. And you could take that same model and apply it to things that weren't communication tools. You know, there are lots of environments where you have Asana and Jira and the support ticketing system, whatever it might be, Zendesk or Salesforce and other systems in play. And you have data that could be in any of those systems and in the right environment, it may be the right answer to have it in system A or system B. But like you have to pick what in our organization is the hierarchy of those tools and what belongs where. And as long as there's general agreement around that, the answer can be almost anything. The only essential quality of the answer is that it be universally held. Yeah, no, very interesting. Makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned actually thought about data. It's gathering all, the, all those data points. Um, do you have a central tool actually for that, or do you for data management aspect? <laughs> so our journey is uh, incomplete where business yeah. intelligence or data management is concerned. Let's say as learned upon, if you asked anyone in our organization right now, I think the consensus that you would hear is, "Yep, it's time to figure that out." Yeah. And that's such a healthy journey. Like, don't there's nothing about that statement that's pejorative of anybody in in our organization. It's just again, if you start from the beginning with this master planned community data model, and you try to scale your business within this model that you built back when you really didn't know anything about your business, if you're honest with yourself, you're only going to constrict and constrain yourself. So like, it's such a healthy place that we're in where we say, we're going to start where we are. We're going to do what seems right to us for the next, say, 12 months. And looking beyond that, really fruitless. Like at, at a certain stage in the business, you have no idea if you'll be operating in 12 months. And if you're worried about that, you probably won't. Be. So like, you, you just... You have to you have to decide what's going to work for the next 12 months. And when you get to a point where you're looking 12 months down the road and you say to yourself, what we're doing today will not be suitable. We will fall over if we're doing the same thing in 12 months time. Okay, time to start planning a change. And ideally, then you ramp up the new thing and you make a smooth transition to it before the whole thing falls over. And, and that's like, especially in the early stage of a business, that's a lot of the sort of thrash and chaos that you see. But I do think that if you tried to avoid that as an end unto itself, you'd get yourself into bigger trouble. Avoiding thrash and chaos is fantastic, unless in so doing, you are sort of achieving paralysis by analysis instead. And for us, I mean, there's a stack that I've become familiar with in the last 
two or three businesses I've been part of. I think a centralized data repository of some kind that is very friend- friendly with any tool you might want to plug into it is essential. That that was a very commonsensical statement. But like you start there. And then anything you end up needing in the way of tooling as your business grows, you can plug into that data repository. So that's probably step one in having an organized kind of business intelligence infrastructure. We're in that place right now where in the next 12 months, I'll spin up a proper community platform. I'll spin up a customer experience platform on top of Salesforce. And as long as we have the right sort of bones to our data infrastructure and an appropriate data repository that plays nicely with other tools, my choices won't be constrained around what I pick by that. I can allow my choices to be driven by what our customers need and what will best enable my team to deliver that for customers. So I love your practicality approach. Um, it's a journey in the end of the day. Uh, you touched a bit, I suppose, a bit there about I mean, the future, but how, how do you see this evolving for the future, the whole holistic experience? Yeah. Well, that relies a lot on us staying in good touch with what our customers want and need. And it's not as easy as it sounds. I think the tempting thing is to live through the first, oh, I don't know, $10 million of ARR or something of your business and come out the other end imagining, okay, I've got the customer experience nailed because I understand what my customers need. Good. I mean, you probably do for now, but your business is going to evolve a lot. And the customers that you're attracting and their expectations of you will evolve as well. And that's even assuming that the world that your customers live in remains static, which of course it does not in any way. So I guess important principle one there is don't ever think that you're done learning what your customers' needs are and expectations are of your business and actively have people involved in discovering that and rediscovering that and refining your understanding of that as time goes on. Assuming you have then a good grasp of that at any given time, understanding it will change. The future becomes an exercise of intentionally evaluating yourself against those needs and expectations as you understand them. And that's not something you do daily. It's not something you do monthly or even quarterly. It's probably an annual exercise where perhaps instead of time-bound, you, you tie it to revenue, which is a proxy for the scale of your business. And you say, you know, every $5 million of ARR or something, we're going to sit down and have a healthy reevaluation of our customers' needs and expectations and how we're measuring up against them. And again, not looking too far down the road. So my view would be to gather that evergreen kind of customer insight to have periodic reviews and in those reviews to make decisions that are future looking to the extent of about 12 months time. I picked 12 months because it seems like something that we can all understand, but also because practically speaking to ramp in new tooling or to change practices that are pretty widespread, you're going to need two or three quarters. And you should give yourself a quarter up front once you're aware that you need to solve a problem to come up with the right solution from a process or tooling perspective. So you kind of build backward from that. And I think a year is about as far down the road as probably a healthy, fast-growing company can look. Yeah, it's incredible with things changing so quickly now. It's it's amazing. You have to take that short-term view versus the longer-term view. Yeah. But um, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really like that approach about the holistic journey and uh, some great pointers there. I really like that one where you and your teams meet weekly or bi-weekly and you all feed into one stream and fall towards one direction. So thank you for sharing that and thank you for your time today. Of course. Great to talk with you, Ken. One last point, if anybody would like to get in touch with you or uh, your company, what's the best way to contact? Yeah, my email address is available to anybody at seth.johnson at learnupon.com. Fantastic, Seth. Thank you so much, Seth. Thank you. Thank you.